Danny and thanks for tuning in to The Grown Up Hustle. This podcast is based on real people sharing all their different journeys as they navigate this crazy ride called adulting. From coffee o'clock to wine o'clock and all that happens in between, we're here to openly discuss how we're all just really hustling our way through life. So if you're ready for the highs, the lows and a whole lot of real talk, then stay tuned because we've got you covered. Hello, you beautiful people. Welcome back to another episode of The Grown-Up Hustle. This week, we're going to be discussing to Botox or to Notox and the art of aging disgracefully. Um, Anyone that knows me knows that I am a huge advocate for cosmetic injectables and actually cosmetic surgery as well. Now, since many of you don't know what I look like, you're probably envisioning some sort of, I don't know, porn star doll. I don't look like that. Everything I've had done is quite natural, but I'm very upfront and honest and I'll admit anything that I have had done. I've never been one to really deny having surgery. I do it, I own it. I'm honest about it and I'll always be very quick to tell you the best places to go for anything that you do want done that I've had done. So feel free to hit me up for any advice. Anyway, getting back on track. As such a huge fan of cosmetic injectables, I started doing a little bit of research into the cosmetic industry and I was surprised to find that it was valued at around £3 million in the UK and treatments are becoming a lot more widely accessible and affordable. So I wanted to start having a better look into the pros and cons of this rapidly evolving industry. Today I've got Rebecca Rogers from Bees Aesthetics joining us on the show and Rebecca is an aesthetics nurse prescriber and she is also the owner of Bees Aesthetics. Rebecca is going to be giving us a full breakdown of the industry, what it all involves and the risk and benefits of cosmetic injections. Rebecca originally started in healthcare as a fully qualified mental health nurse and she then went on to train as an EMDR therapist. Going back to 2016, Rebecca then decided after completing her independent nurse prescribing course to set up as an aesthetic nurse practitioner and so came about Bees Aesthetics. So let's get Rebecca onto the show today. Hey Beck, great to have you join us today. Hi, thanks Danny. So what made you take the career change from mental health to aesthetics? Was that always part of your plan or did that sort of come about as aesthetics became more popular? So back when I was 18 I always loved uh, beauty and then I looked I had a little job doing uh, eyelashes had my own little business back then as well and then I fell into nursing done my nursing degree I absolutely I did it because I loved helping people and then I went into mental health nursing mainly because of the confidence and self-esteem side of things is because I love to make people feel more confident about themselves and just give them those skills that they haven't necessarily got uh, to use in an everyday life. So then didn't know what aesthetics was, didn't know about Botox, didn't know about fillers. One day my mum come home and I was like, mum, you look really good. You look younger. And she was like, thanks. And I said, what? what have you done? And she said, Botox, I had no idea what it was. So I Googled it, looked it up. I went and had Botox myself. I felt amazing. So then I went and um, looked up loads of courses to do aesthetics and then booked onto my first aesthetics course about three weeks after having my Botox done. And then I was doing courses ever since, I think one course a month for about a year. Um, and then, and yeah, and then my business grew. 
and that's how I got into it. It was mainly because of making, I just want to make people feel better about themselves and help them on a day-to-day basis. So do you think that with the cosmetic industry, it is something that people are becoming more sort of open about? Because obviously back then, we're going back, I don't know how many years now, what, six years, something like that. I don't think it was as as widely admitted, whereas now I think people are quite proud to say, oh, yeah, I've got Botox, yeah, I've had my lips done, you know, I've had whatever done. So do you think that that, that sort of has really helped evolve your business because people are so much more open about it? Yeah, so back a couple of years ago, it was more of a taboo. It was very much secret, have to keep it a secret from your boyfriend, from your friends, from your mum, your partner or whatever. Um, And now I'm finding that more and more girls, there's more young girls at the moment and women in their 20s, 30s and early 40s are more open. But anybody a little bit older, they like to keep to themselves that they've had work done. And then you do get the younger girls then in their um, 20s and 30s saying, actually, I don't want to be on your Instagram profile because I don't want anybody knowing that I have treatments done. Which I think is actually really, really interesting. They just want to look fresher, but nobody know. Where I'm much more like, yeah, I've had my tear troughs done, I've had my Botox done, I've had everything. I'm all for it. But it's strange how there's different personalities out there. And some people just don't want to share their, their experience with aesthetic. So would you say that the majority of treatment that you do is used to kind of naturally help enhance or help age a bit more gracefully or do you feel that a lot of the treatment that you do and that is sought after is more about over enhancing so this completely depends on the practitioner and the clientele base so I find that if I go well my patients want to look really natural um wherever I go if it's Northern Ireland clinic London clinic or my Cardiff clinic but then I do find that in Northern Ireland they love this fake looking overfilled look and I'm constantly battling with my patients over this saying it's not that you can't look like that but I just don't think that's in your best interest and so you just have to educate people you have to say okay this if you look like this you're going to look a little bit like an alien if you distort the cheeks and bring the cheeks out too much you do look like an alien with the shape of the face and have a really thin pointy chin and but it's people following the trends it also going back to a minute ago actually where you said about uh people not wanting other people to know that they have a treatment it's funny that when I go to London all my patients there they won't let me post on my Instagram but in Cardiff and Northern Ireland they do so I it's very much it's dependent on the area and the type of clientele that you have so Going back to sort of people saying they want to look overfilled or or more alien-like, do you think that people can have quite unrealistic expectations and almost like an addiction to cosmetic injectables? And then how do you as a professional go about handling that? So uh, realistic expectations is one of the main things in my job, in my practice anyway, is helping patients know what they can reach and what they can't reach. So if we have a elderly lady that comes in and wants Botox and doesn't want her any of her fi- fine lines on her skin, I think you need to have that um, conversation with her to say, you're not going to get what you want. 
but we can we can soften the lines. Do you think people get addicted to injectables and, and fillers and stuff, and then that sets about the, the unrealistic expectations? Myself included in that equation, by the way. Uh, so addiction, yeah. So definitely with uh, any type of fillers, because I find that body dysmorphia is actually a big thing in aesthetics. And even as practitioners, when you go to a conference, so many women are men overfilled. But it's because we see ourselves every single day and then we forget what we used to look like. So where our lips used to be quite small and then we fill them, we then think that they're small. And then we keep fill them again and they're never big enough. I think it's the person's perception of what they look like rather than they can't see what we can see. Uh, the addiction part of patients coming back is where the practitioner just needs to say, stop, you don't need any more filler. Uh, it's very much practitioner dependent who you go to or whether or not they will stop filling you. And it's all about ethics. I wouldn't treat somebody if I don't think they need it. Where other practitioners would just treat and treat until the patient doesn't go there anymore. Do you think that the social media industry plays a huge part in these unrealistic expectations and also encourages younger people to get treatment? I do. I think it I think it has a lots of pros and cons, but I think social media is actually more cons than pros so what I always find quite frightening is when girls turn 18 and then they come to me to have a treatment done and then they say I've been wanting this done since I was 15 when I was 15 I was outside playing in the garden or walking I wasn't on Instagram looking for looking for perfection or ways to perfect myself I think it's just a completely different time now isn't it I think that the social media side of things creates a lot of insecurities even in somebody who isn't insecure so I was always quite confident in the way I looked my shape my body um, my features my nose I used to love my nose and now that social media and aesthetics have come into the real life world I then become self-conscious and think actually I want to tweak this or I want to tweak my nose which I've always liked but it's because we're seeing other people and we're comparing ourselves to other people and so many people at the moment are going around looking the same is because we're showing them all photos on social media of what we want to look like. It's funny because I remember looking back at 80s uh, icons, movie icons, and and you know the, the the sort of women that people used to lust after and obsess over back then. And actually, if you look at them now, they're far from perfect. You know, their teeth aren't aren't all white and straight, and their faces and all you know completely. I don't know balanced. I'm using that term quite loosely. You know, maybe they have got a wonky nose or small lips or whatever it might be, and they were still fabulously beautiful and everyone wanted to be like them even when you look back at Marilyn Monroe she's a curvy lady but my god everyone wanted to be like Marilyn Monroe but yet now like you said through social media everyone's trying to look the same so you can take that special feature like maybe having something a bit quirky you know like a nose for instance and people are like I don't, I don't want this anymore because quirky's quirky's not in that's not the thing to have at the moment so I'm going to change it to be like everyone else and I mean for us we're adults and that that's actually still having an effect on us so then you do think well what's that doing to the younger generation you know and it's that is concerning it really really is so but I do think going back to social media and the pros and cons 
there's also a lot of pros to it in the sense of what can go wrong in your industry. And, and that's what led me to want to record with you was um, you shared a video uh, probably going back a few months ago now of a girl who had gone to a different injector and she had had filler put in her nose and it had blocked, uh, I think, an artery or something, was it, in the, the face? And her face was black and she was on the way to having necrosis. So I think seeing things like that makes you more educated, I guess, and probably more weary, but more mindful about the practitioner that you're using. So can you talk us through what those risks would be? by going to someone who is not qualified. So I completely agree with you with that, is that the pros of social media is that we we get more knowledge, we have more education, we get to hear the goods and the bads of everything. So when I was younger, I think we spoke about it previously, that I went and had my eyebrows done by some woman. I have no idea who she is. I don't know if she was a beautician, but it's because there was nothing about saying, don't go to this person or you need... There was no education about where you should this is eyebrow tattoos wasn't it I remember you said yeah this is eyebrow. yeah when I had I had blocks on my eyebrows and they were black um (laughs) I did that too by the way so that was a a whole vibe back then yeah I do think now that if I was on social media then and then this education was about then I would never have done that it was injecting I would always recommend going to a medical practitioner the main reasons are is that we've gone to university for minimum of three years. If you're a doctor, dentist, longer. And then if you're a nurse prescriber like myself, you then do further education to expand your knowledge and your skills. With somebody who isn't trained, they don't know about life support. They don't know about anaphylactic shock, uh, which can happen. It's very rare, but you do want to know how to handle it if it does happen. You don't know their anatomy. you need to be in a sterile environment as well I don't think somebody who isn't medically trained would know anything about that it's like with COVID at the moment with people wearing gloves they thought that gloves were actually keeping them safe but what they didn't realize is that if you touch your phone and then you put it back in your pocket you take the glove off once you got in the car or back home you touch your phone again and if say you've got the virus COVID you've got it on your phone you then touch your phone and put it on your face that's no longer sterile. It really was never sterile, but it would have had the virus on there then. I don't think people quite understand the way that germs and viruses transmit. And again, being a medical practitioner, we learn all of this throughout uni and we just, we're able to have a bigger and broader understanding of aesthetics. The one thing that I really noticed um, when I moved from Australia to the UK was the complete lack of regulation in the UK for the aesthetics industry and that to me was absolutely astounding and and frightening so you are seeing beauty therapists injecting filler it going wrong and then they're not able to dissolve that filler and you know the patient could lose part of their face so do you want to talk us through that side of things a bit so what you are um, explaining is a vascular occlusion. So this can happen. It's where you block an artery with filler. The artery completely becomes compromised or completely blocked. So then you get a no blood flow to the skin. The skin then essentially dies. 
it'll go black and fall off and can leave permanent scarring um, and leave you deformed almost in your face. But with a, if somebody does cause a vascular occlusion, you need to be able to have this medication called hyalase. And that practically just uh, breaks down the filler and turns it into a liquid. So then the blood flow can get back through to the blood vessels. So if this doesn't happen, like we said, the skin tissue will die and you can have to be left with a scar. This hyalase is a prescription-only medication, so you should only be given this medication if you have a prescriber or if you are a prescriber and the medication is prescribed to that patient. Of course, non-medics can't do that. But again, with nurses, some nurses can't do that because they're not prescribers. This isn't just, I guess, just about non-medics. I'd say some people in the medical field are probably just as bad as well for not knowing their knowledge and their anatomy about aesthetics. It's almost like a different playing field. I remember one, one time a teacher, my mentor said to me, it's like a um, somebody who plays football going to play cricket. Yes, it's a, it's a sports field, but they're completely different games. And you, the sportsman, have to learn these different types of skills and knowledge to be able to play well. Well, it's the same as in aesthetics we don't go to university to do aesthetics so it's all good just having a degree but I would say it's a lot more important to look for a practitioner that will continue to develop their learning so this means if you do get a vascular occlusion you just dissolve it you get rid of it you solve the problem because you know how to there's loads of nurses that actually don't know how to dissolve a vascular occlusion I remember when I first started my course, did my first ever course in aesthetics, they didn't show you how to use hyalase. So I left not knowing how to use it and you have to do your own research. But it's only now that actually, if I had a complication, I'm not afraid of them because I know how to solve them. I know how to get rid of the complication. I know what to do to make my patient better. And why do you need to be a nurse prescriber or have a prescriber to use this product? So it's a prescription-only medication. So it's almost like antibiotics or diazepam, amitriptyline. You need to be prescribed this because you're given a medical review. We do a medical review with you before we prescribe the medication. So we check for allergies. We check for your medical history because all of this is really important when we're doing fillers. So say, I'm not sure if you know this, but say if um, you have a bee sting or you're allergic to an insect sting, that actually means that you could be allergic to the hyalase because it's the same enzyme as an insect sting. But a lot of injectors will still inject you and not ask that question or wouldn't have any knowledge about that. But actually, that is a really big thing that if somebody does have an allergic reaction to a bee sting or an insect sting, they're more than likely going to be allergic to the dissolvent. And what would happen if they were allergic to the dissolvent? So again, completely patient dependent. You could just have um, some swelling or the worst case scenario would be that you would have anaphylaxis and you could potentially die. So it is, a, it is serious and I don't think many people realise how serious it could be. You are my lip girl, as I like to call you. And when I first came to you, much to my absolute horror at the time, I turned up with my largely overfilled lips with migration all around my mouth. And you said to me quite realistically, yeah, no, I, I can't fill those. You need to dissolve them and start again. But I remember that you you did 
uh, thorough medical history and also gave me a skin test before dissolving them where you injected the product into my arm and made me wait for half an hour to see if I had any reaction. Now, I have actually had that product used on me before um, to dissolve a cheek filler that I, I didn't like years ago. And there was no skin test done or or anything of, of the sort. Now, I didn't realize that there was any risk. I said, yep, yeah, inject it in my face and off I skipped. And, you know, luckily I was fine. But it's quite frightening that we're not told these things and people are just going ahead, injecting all of this stuff into our bodies. And we just think, oh, well, you know, they've got the needle and they've got the business. So they must know what they're doing. And that doesn't seem to be the case. And that goes back to the social media of seeing all of these deals, you know, on Instagram, like come here and I, you can get your lips done for X amount or, you know, your Botox done for this. And you think, well, surely you shouldn't, you should know your worth and price accordingly. That should be ringing alarm bells for people when they think that they're getting a bargain Botox or, or bargain fillers, that there's a reason that's cheap. And that's surely going to be a mix of either someone who's not fully qualified and potentially a, a less, uh, more inferior, sorry, should I say, product. So you've made a really good point, actually, that there's doctors, dentists, nurse, nurses and non-medics that actually do use inferior products. So there is a product, there's a couple of products on the market that are, that come from Korea and they come over here and a lot of people use them really well-known practitioners use them I don't use them myself but the only reason why I don't use them is well mainly because they're cheap they're probably very nasty products inside of it they don't have much evidence-based research behind it and as a nurse we love our research behind products and the way that it integrates into the body so there's this one um element that I think is the most important with choosing your villa is that that filler needs to break down as quick as possible if you get an occlusion or if you cause blindness. And I couldn't sleep at night knowing if I was putting a product in somebody that couldn't dissolve and that would just lead to catastrophic um, results, something awful happening. That is the main reason I think that we, well, we should really be looking at our products and what ones we're using. And usually the cheaper versions of the products are the ones that we can't quite dissolve. So the one that you said about the nose that had this one of these products in there and it took seven vials of, I think, seven vials of hyalase. It's a lot of hyalase. We only need one, one, two, most of the times. So on my experience and listening to other practitioners is that you should have 10 vials of this hyalase, um, but a lot of people only carry one or two uh, because they think that's ample. And that's what will dissolve the filler but actually if it's a poor filler it won't do that the girl who who this happened to bravely shared her story on social media and I actually saw it on your Instagram and on a couple of other people's Instagrams who are friends of mine and I mean this this girl was beautiful but her poor face it was black I there was no words to describe the mess that she had been left in and she had to go elsewhere then to have it dissolved but you just worry about the repercussions of if she hadn't got in quick enough what she could have been left with or she could have gone blind um and her skin would have been scarred if it wasn't dealt with the lady who dealt with it is Michaela and she's an amazing practitioner and she's up in Essex and she because that was her old patient so she got her back in um and dissolved it for her but she was really really lucky the patient one. I think if I look back two years ago, I started having filler at quite a young age and I've had it 
put all over my face uh, at different times of my life. But back then, I didn't really know about inferior products or it was filler or filler, really. And, and you know, without mentioning names of brands, there were two, two main brands that I'd heard of. I'd had both of them. But when I came to you, you'd said to me, like, this is very, very thick, heavy filler. You know, it's it's just sort of gone together in a clump and migrated up to my nose pretty much. And and when you were trying to dissolve it, saying like, this is so, so thick. And now redoing my lips with you and using a, a superior product that is more like malleable and works better with the anatomy of the, the, the face and the lips and so on, you do see that you get not just a better result, but it's actually more comfortable in your face. And anyone who's had filler, I think, will, will be able to like resonate with that because you don't have that hard, uncomfortable feeling, which I did have several times when I had my lips done. But because I didn't know any better, I just kept going with it and thought that was normal. You go with your practitioner. You hope that your practitioner has the knowledge. And lots of us use different products for different reasons. And like most of the products on the market, um, the most popular ones anyway, they do cause a lot of migration because they love to draw water. So the filler is a hyaluronic acid. It draws water to wherever it's uh, placed. And then the other products, they will do the same, but then they also firm and go really hard and quite uncomfortable. They also have something called an adverse reaction so a, and a delayed onset reaction. So in months and months to come, you could have some random swelling, you could have painful um, painful lumps in your lips and they, they can be quite difficult to treat as well from some of the fillers. Is that because it's collecting together and that's why you get the lumps or...? There's different theories on it. There's several theories on why it happens, but the um, the body, the immune system basically attacks the filler. So it's quite a personal effect on each body and their response to it, potentially. Same as breast implants or anything like that. You put something foreign in and it may, may go to plan. It may not. But if you've got obviously a thicker product, it's a lot more likely, I'm assuming, that because you know, it's not breaking down at all. Exactly. Yeah. The body almost seems it's like an implant in our body and then if you have an implant your body is more likely to reject it where if you have a filler that breaks down quickly then your body recognizes it as its own. A topic that I'm interested in with regards to the whole cosmetic industry is cosmetic procedures versus mental health. When I first came to you you uh, suggested dissolving my filler dissolving all of my lips and waiting two weeks to redo the procedure. Then I was super, super happy that we had to all wear masks to cover our mouth at the time. And you were absolutely incredible. I mean, you reached out to me all the way through it because you knew I was struggling and you made sure that you were always there as support. And actually mentally that really helped me as a patient. And I've never had any practitioner offer a service like you have. Do you think that your uh, experience as a mental health nurse has helped you be better equipped and better deal with patients for anxiety for procedures or recognizing issues such as body dysmorphia, so on and so forth? I do. I do think that we have a lot of knowledge around this area. This is what we're trained for. This is what we went to uni for is to do, learn about mental health and how to deal with patients who suffer from depression and anxiety and body dysmorphia. This then goes a lot into aesthetics then there is a um a big debate there was a big debate about mental health nurses and how how could we possibly do aesthetics because we're not general trained not all of us anyway 
And actually, I think we're probably, we, we know how to spot a patient with body dysmorphia, which I think is one of the most important things in aesthetics is because this stops people from looking deformed and from overfilling people. So it's like a overfilled syndrome, we call it with aesthetics. Um, where somebody just has too much filler in their face and it needs to be dissolved. With the mental health side of things, with my patients, I'm very open with them. I contact them. I'm there 24-7 if somebody needs me. And I had another patient the other day who texted me at half 11 at night and she was panicking, but I hadn't seen her for about six months. But she texted me and asked if it was about to, her treatment. So I said, I said, ring me. I said, I'm here. I'm here for you whenever you need me. You are my patient. I've treated you in the past if you've got a question. And actually what happened was she was absolutely fine, but she was just panicking. But I was able to give her some techniques to bring down those anxieties and those heightened senses. And they worked really well. And she was so thankful and grateful for it. And she said, thank you so much. I didn't expect you to respond as quickly or as late as you did. But I think it's really important is that patient care. And this is, again, what we go over in university is your patient care, the patient, you need to be able to do a treatment plan with this patient, you need to be able to manage the patient and however you express your feelings. And it's just it builds a therapeutic relationship between practitioner and patient and the trust as well. So then again, if we go back to you dissolving when we dissolved your lips. I needed you to trust me that it was going to be okay again, that your lips were going to be really nice shape because you've just met me. I've just dissolved your lips and it, everybody goes through this whole, oh my gosh, my lips have completely gone. And they, they don't want to leave the house for days. They think their lips are horrific, but actually they're the lips that they were born with. But again, this is just us going back to our perception of ourselves just completely changes when we have filler. I never thought of myself as someone who suffered with insecurities until you dissolve my lips. When I woke up the following morning, I looked in the mirror and honestly, I mean, for anyone who doesn't actually know me and, and for the listeners, I, I had quite big overfilled lips and they resembled a cat's backside the following morning. But actually, once once things had sort of settled down, they actually looked fine. They were my natural lips. You were correct. But but I think it's that that initial panic. It was just panic that I suddenly had it completely changed my face and you being there to reach out to and to speak to yeah you talked me off the ledge like and that for me instilled so much confidence in you not just in your skills because you know to be fair back your skills speak for themselves you only have to look at your online presence and and your before and after pictures your skills speak for themselves and for anyone who you know, is listening now, obviously you can't see me, but my lips are absolutely beautiful now. And I've had other people comment on them and now go to back for treatment. But, but it was, it was through you being not just a good, capable, experienced nurse practitioner, but probably I would say a mental health nurse to help deal with that anxiety that, that I was sort of struggling with on the the post-dissolving and, and two-week run-up to being able to refill them again. Yeah, I th- we have a um, an aesthetic support group on WhatsApp and there's a lot of um, 
practitioners in there who are medical, but they're not mental health trained. And then there's two of us in there that are mental health trained. Um, and they come to us then for support when they don't, when they have a patient who's has very high emotions and they don't quite know how to how to help them or how to support them because actually mental health is a skill the way that you deal with patients is a skill and you learn it it's not just saying you'll be fine you'll be fine you will cope because that won't help people it's the way that you talk about it you have to you have to uh, validate people's thoughts and feelings and you have to listen to them and they need to feel heard where that's quite difficult to do if you don't know how to do it. I think as a general rule, people struggle. Someone might be speaking, but the other person might struggle to hear what they're actually saying. And that's in general in every aspect of life. But I feel like it's a really important skill to have when working in an industry which can change how you look because A, like I said before, you know, obviously dealing with body dysmorphia and unrealistic expectations but how someone looks is huge and you've got full control over that so you're quite powerful you know and it's it's having that that confidence in managing people's expectations and also being realistic and also being supportive that say someone someone comes to you and they've got incredibly thin lips uh, they're not going to leave with lips like Angelina Jolie after you know one one sitting or whatever and it's it's been able to manage that and I think that that's a skill that you've learned through working as a mental health nurse more than working as a cosmetic injector 100% yeah so I was always known when I was doing my mental health nursing as the quite not abrupt but straight to the point no um I wouldn't beat around the bush I would just say it how it is. And I think that's you do need to say be exactly the same in the statics as well. So if somebody has a wider face but and they want um, a treatment to help slim down their jaw, but actually their wide face is because of their BMI, you need to explain to them your BMI is slightly higher and this is why you've got a wider face and it's not the muscles that I can help or treat. So it's, it's having... It's educating the patient as to why they can't have a treatment or why that treatment might not be suitable, where some people would just do it because they don't want to have that conversation with somebody. And I think this is how people end up getting these expectations and then they don't meet the expectations and then the patient becomes very disappointed is because you haven't explained to them why that treatment wouldn't suit them or wouldn't work well on them. So... Leading on now to my final subject, which was through your business, you then went on to set up a successful training school. And through your training school, you are teaching other people different styles of injecting and the crack ways to do that. Where did all of that idea come about from? So when I remember a year into my aesthetics, I realized I just wanted to show everybody or tell people about the skills that I've learned and I want to give to them so they can then treat their patients and have the same results. I wanted everybody to be able to treat their patients and get the best results that they could. And it would benefit both patient and the practitioner. So then uh, to be a trainer, you have to be doing aesthetics for a minimum of three years. So then as soon as it hit three years, I actually, my business partner now and I had a meeting um, and discussed everything and then we both because we're we're both well-known practitioners within our areas and we thought we would be the best people to do it 
between ourselves. Um, so like I touched on shortly earlier, when I did my first course, they didn't show you how to dissolve a complication. Uh, you weren't really taught about anatomy and the muscles and the fat pads of the face and the skin. It just wasn't really heard of. You would either learn about skill or anatomy. You wouldn't necessarily do both. So my business partner and I, we wanted to show people the skill, how you can get a really good result with knowing your anatomy knowledge. And then obviously touching and going deeply into the complication side of, um, of things and the aesthetics, because it's not something to be thought of lightly people need to go away knowing how to do this treatment and how to crack the treatment if something goes wrong so on that we then built our academy I remember I was at a training course about two years ago and the teacher was teaching and I was teaching as well as the teacher but I was a delegate so I was saying no no turn the turn the needle around bevel up uh, is the way that you put the needle and the teacher just looked at me and I had to apologize but that's when I thought oh my gosh I love teaching this is what I want to do um, and so now we've opened up our academy we've been really successful so far which I'm really happy with we train other medical professionals so we train doctors nurses ODPs dentists people with a medical pin as well do you touch on dealing with patients expectations and so on and so forth during your training as well and how to manage your patients yeah so we have a good open discussion with our delegates and say who we would treat, who is suitable for treatment and who isn't suitable. So we give them examples of our own work, maybe patients that we did when we first began or patients that we've had to dissolve that were our patients, but we've corrected it. And we've been open and honest and said, look, this is our patient. This is what happened, almost like a case study. Because when you go on courses, a trainer won't openly say, I could have done better where I think it's so important to show the delegates that we're normal people. Yes, we may um, be doing really well in our aesthetics business now, but it has taken us a long time to get there. And so we're so open and honest with them. Another thing that we do with our aesthetics courses is when we first started training, so say when I first did a course, when I first started injecting a couple of years ago, we would do one injection. So if I was training to do a set of lips you would do one injection in that set of lips but in a set of lips you would do about 20 injections so loads of different people would have one injection each and then you would go away and then you would pass the course but then our academy we do a minimum of two patients each per delegate so that delegate gets a lot of hands-on experience as well. And then we train that we'll get a patient in who needs their lips dissolved. And then we'll show them how we would dilute and mix up the solution of hyalase, like we were talking about earlier, and how we would administer it into the patient's lips. What I would like you to be able to share with the listeners is, uh, you know, for people who can't come to any of your clinics, obviously, because I will, I will pop all of your Insta handles and stuff on the, on the podcast bio. Um, but for people who, you know, can't come and see you, how would you recommend people go about looking for the best possible um, cosmetic 
nurses. What skill set or qualifications should people be looking for when choosing someone to be providing these aesthetic treatments for them? So like we discussed earlier, I would highly recommend going to a medical practitioner and a medical practitioner who has a lot of experience within aesthetics. So you can always ask your practitioner for their medical pin. So as a nurse for like me, for example, I have a PIN number to say that I have a, um, a regulating body that looks after my patients or looks after me. So you can look for the PIN number. You can look at what qualifications they actually have, because some people will say they're nurses and doctors when they're actually not. If you go on NMC, you can type in a nurse's PIN to check that they're actually a nurse. Um, I would on their Instagram, if you're looking on Instagram, I would always look for videos because videos can't be edited. So look for videos where they show the whole face rather than just the side of the face. I would also look for patient reviews because a lot of people can buy followers now. They can buy comments and a lot of practitioners do do that that I've heard of anyway. Um, So just make sure you investigate them properly. Look for somebody who specialises in the treatment that you want, as well as who's medically qualified to do so. Are there any websites out there to search through various cosmetic providers? There's a few. Um, uh, I'm not actually on any because I don't need to. (laughs) You don't need to. Let's call a spade a spade. You do not need to. So... (laughs) There are courts, so there are places, but not a lot of nurses are registered onto these websites. So like myself, I'm not on any of these websites, but there's something called Save Face. And if you type that into Google, there's BACN as well. And you can type that into Google and look for practitioners in your areas. Um, they're the two that I know of. I'm not sure of any other ones, but obviously Instagram's the big one where you would find most of your practitioners on. So where would you then check out the reviews? Would it be through Instagram, Google reviews, Facebook reviews, would you say? Yeah, Google reviews. I would always look, if you're on Instagram, then I would look at when, that usually if somebody has, those little highlights on Instagram. A lot of practitioners will have reviews on there as well. So you could go back and have a look at that. Lots of practitioners will post uh, patients, like screenshot what their patients have said to them about a good review about their lips or their nose, whatever treatment they've had done. Or obviously as well, referral. I think word of mouth is probably the biggest way to be able to trust somebody and have your treatment done by that person that's another good side of social media where people are pleased with something so they share it and then their friends see it so then they want to know more so you know it it then leads to to you having more clients but also clients being more satisfied overall yeah I would also say as well though if you are extremely anxious and nervous about choosing a practitioner it's not your time to have an aesthetic treatment I would just say wait wait a year wait a couple of months until you feel that you're not so anxious so you can have a treatment because I think a lot of us are having treatments just for the sake of it we might not quite be ready 
Um, but if you are, if yeah, if you are anxious, I would just, just wait. There's no rush to have any treatments. That's brilliant, Beck. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and joining me and educating all the listeners on the do's and don'ts. And um, if it's okay with you, I'll pop your Instagram handle onto the bio of the show so people can reach out to you. So anyone that's in the Cardiff, London or Northern Ireland area or is within travel distance of those locations, I could not recommend these aesthetics more highly. Thank you so much, Danny. Thanks again for joining us as always, guys, and showing some support for the show. If you did enjoy today's episode, then don't forget to click subscribe. And if you haven't already, if you could leave a quick review, I'd be grateful because reviews help the show reach more listeners and get these chats out there. If you want to connect with Rebecca or Bees Aesthetics and get any more information on cosmetic injectables, then hop on over to the Grown Up Petal podcast on Instagram, where you'll find Bees Aesthetics and Rebecca tagged on the show's grid. Whilst you're there, don't forget to give us a follow to keep up to date with show topics and events. Next week on the show, I'm going to be joined by the lovely Caroline McKenna, host of the County Down Under podcast, and we're going to be talking about living abroad and away from family and the highs and lows that come with life as an expat. I hope you all have an absolutely awesome week, guys, and I'll catch you all next week. Bye.